Hey mom friends, this is Allison Nick, your host of the Four Moms Podcast, where we talk about all things mommyhood, faith, and business. Today, we have Eva from My Sleeping Baby on this podcast, and y'all, this podcast episode is a lifesaver. She is going to be talking to us about how to get our kids to efficiently sleep in their own bed, um, the different ways to do it. Uh, she's gonna, actually going to be examining how I put Jojo and Gemma down and the things that I can do to get better as well, which can hopefully help you. So be sure to listen to this episode all the way to the end. I do want to apologize ahead of time. We did have a couple of technical issues in the beginning. However, we got everything under control and you are not going to miss a thing. So I'm super excited to get this episode started. So let's go ahead and begin. Have you ever thought about starting your own podcast? I definitely did, but I didn't know how to do it until I ran into a girl at a meet and greet and she told me about Anchor. Now, Anchor is a one-stop shop for recording, hosting, and distributing your podcast. And best of all, it's free and it's ridiculously easy to use. And as a mom, we all know that things that are free are valuable. (laughs) And Anchor can now match you with other great sponsors who want to advertise on your podcast. Yes, so that means you can start making money whenever you start recording your podcast. It's ridiculously easy. It's great. It's fun. It's easy to distribute. So if you want to start your podcast and make money doing it, go to anchor.fm slash start and join me and other diverse podcasters here that already use Anchor. That's anchor.fm slash start. I can't wait to hear your podcast. Okay, mom friends, welcome to another episode of the Four Moms Podcast. Today, we have Miss Eva here, and she is a certified infant and child sleep consultant. So let me tell you just a little bit more about her. Through her International Maternity Institute, she is also the founder of My Sleeping Baby. Eva's main goal is to assist her clients establish healthy sleep habits for their children. After experiencing the debilitating effects of chronic sleep deprivation from her second child, Eva was inspired to help families overcome their sleep challenges. Eva truly emphasizes with her clients' sleep troubles and personally invests herself in their sleep journey. Eva is a proud wife and mother of three beautiful children who are also great sleepers and lives with her family in Toronto. In addition to completing her sleep consulting certification, she is a member of the Association of Professional Sleep Consultants, and she completed the 2016 Infant Mental Health Community Training through the Infant Mental Health Promotion and the Hospital for Sick Children, Toronto. Eva also has her Bachelor of Arts from York University and her law degree, we're going to get into that more later, from the University of Western Ontario. Welcome Thank you so much, Allison, for having me. Of course, of course. So let's go ahead and just dive right on into it. I know that our, I know that our moms are moms just, are super, just excited, super excited um, about this topic today. So our first question is kind of a traditional question we ask here on the Four Moms podcast. What did you want to be when you were younger? When I was in high school, I actually did want to be a lawyer because oh. I was very good at writing. I was always very articulate. I enjoyed, you know, I enjoyed a good, healthy debate. (laughs) And 
And so I went after it and I, and I got into law school right after finishing my, my undergraduate degree. And um, if you had told me that I would have completed my law degree and worked in law for a couple of years and then somehow ended up doing sleep consulting full time, I would have thought that you were crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, of course, of course. So obviously, like you said, you wanted to be a lawyer. And as we read in your bio, you did go to law school. So how did you go from being a lawyer to being a sleep consultant? Yeah, it's quite the crazy story. So basically what happened was I gave birth to my first child right after finishing law school. And and she was a great baby. I mean, she was she was one of those babies that just makes you good as a mom. You know, you know those oh, kids that yeah. do everything perfectly and they eat when they're supposed to eat and they sleep when they're supposed to sleep and they smile and coo when they're supposed to smile and coo. She was one of those babies and everything was wonderful. And then a couple of years later, I gave birth to my second daughter, who was the complete opposite. And that was very <laughs> difficult. She was crying nonstop. And then naturally, with more difficult high-needs babies, sleep did not come naturally. Mm. Given that I have always needed a good night's sleep to be able to function, let alone thrive, um, I was really suffering from the effects of, of sleep deprivation. I mean, it's no joke what, what happens to your body and what happens to your mind and what happens to your life when you are missing a good night's sleep night for weeks and months and sometimes years at a time so I had no so here I was on maternity leave right and and just a bit of background given that I live in Toronto here in Canada we get a year of maternity leave so so thankfully I was not back at work after six weeks bleary-eyed I was at home all day bleary-eyed um nonetheless I had no choice but to open up all the books, the sleep books, and figure out what to do with this baby, how to get this baby sleeping. Because she was at one point, I kid you not, waking up every 90 minutes. Um, wow. Because she needed me, she would fall asleep with the pacifier and then would wake up realizing the pacifier wasn't in her mouth. And I was literally putting it back in her mouth every 90 minutes all night long. It was beyond insane. And so... I had no choice but to take matters into my own hands and change things because otherwise, I mean, it, it was, it was not going to, it wasn't a pretty picture in terms of how I was functioning at that point. And so I managed on my own to make things more manageable. It wasn't perfect. It was still, you know, far from perfect, but I was finally getting some proper stretches of sleep out of her. And then that in essence inspired me one day to think, Hey, you know what? I should launch a side business and get my certification to become a sleep consultant. I mean, look, I'm not going to quit law because, you know, who does that? Of course. That would be, be, you know, the most insane, stupidest thing I could ever do. But I'm going to launch a side business and this can be some fun side money. I I said it'll be my shoe money. You know, I go get a new client and then I'll go buy, you know, a pair of shoes that I would probably never be able to justify buying like that kind of fun money. And considering I had another six, seven months left of maternity leave at that point, that's what I did. And so I got all my training done online while the baby was napping and when the baby was sleeping. And when she was about a year, I launched my side business and it took off. And and so when I saw that very early on, 
Um, but again, I was nowhere near feeling ready to quit my job and do this on a full-time basis because I'm just not, I'm pretty risk averse. I would say I'm not one of these people that has the guts to just kind of take the plunge and go for something like that. So everything at this point was pretty calculated, but then about six months or so into the process, I mean, as the famous saying goes, you plan and God laughs. So that was exactly what happened. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> six months later, my boss pulls me into the office and says, Eva, we have to talk. And I'm going, Oh no, what's going on? on here he says here's the thing we really need you back full-time he says this part-time arrangement is just not working anymore because our office is just we're just too busy and he wasn't lying I mean uh, the, the workload had really increased where where I was working and so that kind of put me in this predicament where I knew that if I was going to continue to work full-time in this very demanding job that the amount of effort I'd be able to put into my business would would substantially decrease. I mean, it's just, there's only a certain number of hours in the day, but I knew that my business had potential for growth. Whereas this particular job really didn't, it really was in essence, a dead end for me. And so at that point, uh, you know, after talking it over with my husband, the plan was for me to quit my job, um, no longer continue with that full-time arrangement and focus on my business while I look for something part-time. And I was able to get interviews in other part-time, in other offices that were able to offer me a part-time arrangement, but it takes time in terms says and they have to get back to you and then they want to bring you in for another interview and then during that whole process it gave me all this extra time to be able to devote solely to my business where when there finally was a part-time offer job offer for me on the table I didn't have time for it because I was yeah. fully yeah. booked at that point with clients and so that was where people were going wait Eva are you are you really not going back to law? Like you're really going to do this full time? And my answer was for now, this is where I'm at. You know, I'm still paying my law society dues. You know, I'm not giving up my, my, my license to practice anytime soon. Um, and I still haven't, but if this is, this is something that I am extremely passionate about, way more passionate than law that really allows me to help people and allows me to work from home and gives me flexibility. So for me, it was a no brainer. And, and from there, my business just grew. And that's where I was also able to um, put together an online membership program that allows people to access everything that they need to know, a step-by-step -step process to get their little ones sleeping in a group coaching setting as well. So that's kind of where I am today. And I haven't looked back. Wow. 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 So two things to take from that one move to Canada for maternity leave. Um, yes. <laughs> not for the weather though. Just okay, after yes. one, the weather's a little bit different than it is in Texas. That's going to uh, be oh, a bit of a adjustment. I'm definitely you. sure of that. <laughs> and um, also, it's it's not normal. I think a lot of times us moms think that it's normal not to get sleep. And right. it's it's not normal, especially to the point, as you were saying, of sleep deprivation, where you're right. just like very zombie like, like, that's not normal. And no. we have to no, understand that, that, you know, sometimes we do need help. And like yes. you were saying, each kid is different. Um, right. Joseph 100%. was your second. Joseph was like your second um, born. He was up every two hours wanting to be oh, fed everything and no. Gemma's completely different she sl she slept for like four hours in between yeah. feedings so kids are different 
and how you encounter them. Listen, sleep comes more naturally to some babies than it does to others. There's no question about it. But I can tell you beyond a shadow of a doubt, having worked with close to 1,500 families to date, I can tell you that every healthy child can learn how to sleep well. And you do not need to be, this is, this is, I think a revolutionary thing about parenting in today's generation, which is that parents do not have to be chronically sleep deprived Mm -hmm. while raising young children anymore. They don't. And I want to differentiate. I just want to, you know, go, go out of my way to explain that this wasn't always the case. This wasn't the case actually until very recently. I think that we as, as moms and as, as parents of little ones are raising kids, we are very privileged to have access to all this information and knowledge yes. and know-how that yeah. previous generations of parents up until very recently did not have access to. I mean, my mom and my aunts to this day cannot believe that I have an eight month old baby at home and that I am sleeping through the night on a regular basis. They, they can't believe it yeah. because in their day and age, you know, they're, they're, they're in their sixties, right? So they were raising kids 30 something years ago. Mm-hmm. In their generation, there was no such thing as a well-rested parent of an infant. There was no such thing. Maybe there was one of them. Maybe they all had that one friend that had that alien baby that just slept magically, no problem. And then everybody hated that friend of theirs. But other than that one friend, it didn't exist because nobody had the insight and knowledge and know-how into sleep science and sleep hygiene and healthy sleep habits that we have today. And I think that it's, it's remarkable in that it gives us the opportunity to parent our little ones using the best version of ourselves when we're well-rested. It's an unbelievable thing. Yeah. Yeah. And that's very true. That's very, very true. Like you were saying back, back in the day, it was completely different. And nowadays we do have uh, um, that knowledge. So yes. Um, Now, like you, like we have said, I, I'm from Texas, and down here in the South, I can tell you I've never heard of a infant or child sleeping consultant. So I, it may be a geographical thing, but is it su- super popular up there in Canada? Oh my gosh, yes, yes, <laughs> I know. I'm, I'm, I'm blown away by the geographical differences, and in, in um, when it comes to this particular market, because. Um, here in Toronto, I mean, there are tons of people doing this. And, oh, wow. um, and I think it's no different than in New York, like in the East Coast, it's definitely a very, very, very popular phenomenon. Wow. Um, I also have clients out in, you know, out West, I have clients out in BC, like in Vancouver area, um, I have a lot of clients in LA. Um, but interestingly, you know, once we after we had this conversation, I, I, I realized that the, the, I, I, I could count on less, I would need less than one hand to count how many clients I've ever had in either the Midwest or in the South. So oh, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Your guess is as good as mine as to <laughs> what that might be. <laughs> yeah, I, I think it's just the South is kind of just like, you know, we have our village, we have our little tribe, and, right. and, and you know, we're just a little bit more stubborn a little bit <laughs> when it comes <laughs> to certain things. So I think it's, it's probably just a ge- geographical thing, but 
I'm so happy that you reached out because since it's not as popular, I definitely want to share this information to our yes. audience. So it's super awesome. Okay. Amazing. So you have three kiddos of your own. So how has yeah. being a mom enhanced your entrepreneurship? That is a good question. I mean, I think that it has definitely forced me to hone in on my um, multitasking ability oh, yeah. and on my ability to use my time as efficiently as possible. Because, you know, when, when, before I had my third and my two older ones, I mean, my, my girls are um, in, in grade two and in senior kindergarten, which oh. I, I don't know what you guys call it there. I, you would call it second grade <laughs> and you would call, I don't know what you guys call the grade, like the class before first grade. Um, here we call it senior kindergarten. Oh, we just, uh, just we kindergarten. But that's so cute. I love senior kindergarten. <laughs> junior, we have junior kindergarten and senior kindergarten. Junior kindergarten is, you know, ages four turning five and then, or JK and then SK, senior kindergarten is five turning six. So that's anyways, that, that's how old my, my kiddos, my two older ones are right now. So before I had my baby, my my I had a full work day on a regular basis because my girls were in school. Mm-hmm. And so- I kind of was able to get away with, you know, wasting a little bit of time here and, you know, scrolling my newsfeed for a little bit too much time there. And now that I have my little guy at home with me while I'm running a business, it's like when he goes down for a nap, it is a no nonsense situation for me. It's like, I need to get my list of tasks done before this kiddo wakes up. And so I have become much more efficient and, um, when it comes to my time and my ability to literally do take care of a million things at once has also improved significantly. Oh yes. Yes. And, and just to point out to our listeners, uh, we both have eight month olds that are a week apart. Yes, I think it's just so cute. A week apart. <laughs> just so cute. Just bringing us mommies together even more. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> so we're going to get into um, more of the sleep information right now. So yes. I'm going to kind of, using you as for some personal information as well (laughs) absolutely so I have a two-year-old now that um I am trying to get out of our bed sleeping into his own toddler bed and I'm sure other moms you know deal with this situation um at least for me we fall asleep on the couch I put him in his bed to go to sleep and then sometime throughout the night he comes in into our bedroom and you know curls up there sometimes I know whenever he comes in and sometimes I'll wake up and there's a foot in my face and so (laughs) for us moms trying to avoid the foot in our faces um how can we start a schedule or start a routine or what can we do to get our kids to sleep or at least our toddlers to sleep in their bed all night yes so when it comes to fixing um, a, a sleep situation like this and really maximizing our little one's sleeps. There's a multitude of things that we need to make sure are, are in place. And, um, and from what we've discussed before, it sounds like you're having a sort of similar situation with your baby and that your baby isn't necessarily like walking over to your bed, but she does also need assistance from you to fall asleep. And then Mm -hmm. you transfer her to her crib asleep. And then she wakes up, you know, at least once a night, right? That's one of the patterns dealing with her. Yes. So, you know, what both 
what both your toddler and your baby have in common here is they both rely on what's called a sleep crutch or a sleep association to fall asleep. So the definition of a sleep association is something that they need to be able to fall asleep with that they cannot recreate on their own. So for example, if your son needed his, a teddy bear to fall asleep, that wouldn't be considered a sleep crutch because when he wakes up and his teddy bear isn't in his arms, if let's say a feet away, he can just easily, a foot away, he can just easily grab it and then go right back to sleep. But if he's falling asleep on the couch next to you and then he's waking up in his bed and you're no longer there, sleep science dictates that he is going to try and find you to recreate those conditions in which he needed to fall asleep to begin with. And so with your baby, it's no different. Your baby nurses to, to fall asleep, right? Uh, well, sometimes, yes, yeah, she nurses. And most time, you know, we just rock to sleep together. Yes. Yeah. Okay, so there's a combination of nursing and rocking to sleep. So what that means for her is that she's falling asleep one way. So she's falling asleep, either nursing or rocking in your arms. And then she's waking up in a completely different environment in her crib. And so it's the exact same thing where sleep science dictates that how we fall asleep initially is what sets the tone for the rest of the night. It's no different than if, if, if I fall asleep in my bed, I am going to expect to wake up in my bed. Mm -hmm. And if I wake up on my couch, then I am going to jolt myself awake and go, how the heck did I end up here? Right? Yeah, that's <laughs> I, true. I'm that's that you are, that you're no different. I'm going to go, how the heck did I end up here? And how do I get back to my bed? Because that's where I, that's where and how I fell asleep initially. So when your son is falling asleep on the couch next to you, and then he's waking up in his bed, even though this is happening on a nightly basis, he's still going, where's mommy? Because he fell asleep with mommy initially. And so he at this point needs you, your presence in some way, shape or form for him to be able to fall back to sleep. And then with your baby, it's like she's falling asleep, you know, rocking and or nursing mm -hmm. and then wakes up, let's say, however many hours later because she's wide awake and doesn't know how to put herself back to sleep without the assistance that she received to begin with. You following me so far? Yes. Okay, so that's why the end goal for both children needs to be that they both are placed in their, in their sleep environments completely awake and that they ultimately learn how to fall asleep without your presence. And so what I would be working on with your son, I mean, that needs to be the end goal. That is the gold standard. Now, we're not going to get there overnight, obviously. And we yeah. can talk about, you know, some steps that we have to take to be able to get there. But the gold standard has to be for you to do your son's bedtime routine, tuck him into his bed, say goodnight and leave the room and then have him fall asleep in his bed by himself. That has to be the gold standard so that when he wakes up in the middle of the night at the end of a sleep cycle, because we're constantly cycling in and out of deep and light sleep, when he wakes up at the end of the sleep cycle and he very briefly kind of looks around and he makes sure that everything in his sleep environment is okay, he'll see that his room is still the same, that nothing has changed. He fell asleep in his bed by himself. And so he's then able to roll over and put himself back to sleep on his own and not even remember waking up to begin with. 
But right now, as long as he's falling asleep on the couch next to you and he's waking up in his bed alone, he's going to go, hey, I need mommy. I where, Where's mommy? And I guess, you know, he is <laughs> independent enough to just get out of his bed and go <laughs> fix the problem on his own, right? I need yes. mommy, so I'm just going to find mommy. And I know exactly where mommy is at 2 o'clock in the morning. Yeah, <laughs> so that that's ultimately why eliminating these sleep crutches and sleep associations are an incredibly important aspect of ensuring that our little one's sleep is maximized, not just in the short term, but in the long run as well. It's like it's part of the the glue, I would say, that keeps our keeps little ones sleep together. Yes, so. I'm assuming I'm also assuming that this kind of goes with the pattern of um, us moms and I am guilty I'm raising my hand right now that um, you know we we snuggle with our babies not only do we rock them to sleep but we cuddle with them whenever we you know either take a nap or go to sleep or whatnot that that is also hindering that process (laughs) that's also hindering that process of maybe in the future getting them to go to sleep on their own. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, listen, it's, it's like this, you know, I don't go around preaching sleep training and, and independent sleep skills to people who are not interested in making changes. I mean, if your situation, not just talking about you, but if anyone, if anyone's sleep situation is working for them and maybe their little ones do have sleep crutches, maybe they are nursing to sleep or rocking to sleep, or they're still co-sleeping with their toddler and everything is fine. They're getting the sleep that they need. They're happy with the arrangements. Hey, I am the last person to tell you to change that. Mm-hmm. Um, however, if something is not working for you, if you are, if somebody is not happy with the arrangement, because maybe it's taking them forever to get their little ones to sleep, or maybe they are just done with these unnecessary night wakings and they want to know how what they need to do to make some changes, this is one of the pieces of the puzzle. And it doesn't mean that you have to stop snuggling your child. I mean, there is no maximum amount of snuggling that you can <laughs> offer your little ones during the day when they're awake. But this is just from a sheer sleep science standpoint, as long as they rely on something external to fall asleep, it is going to hinder their ability to sleep through the night on a regular basis. And so that's where you know, parents just kind of have to weigh the pros and cons of continuing with whatever routine that they have versus the consequences that that routine might have. And some people listening to this might go, eh, you know what? It's not so bad. I like it. I'm okay with it. The pros might outweigh the cons, but then there might be just as many other people listening to this going, you know what? As much as I'm going to miss the rocking to sleep, I am so done <laughs> with, the, you know, with waking up at night. Like, I am done with a capital D. So it's really up to parents to decide, you know, what they want to do with this information. Absolutely. Absolutely. So uh, going back to um, my two-year-old, whenever you yeah. put them in the bed and then you just walk off, um, obviously there are different scenarios that happen. You know, they get up and they they move around, they, they cry, all those different things. Is it just a, excuse me, is it just a, I'm going to let you cry it out until you sleep? Is it, you're going to cry for 10 minutes, I'm going to come hold you? Is it even, Mm -hmm. I'm going to come, you know, sleep next to you, next to you on the floor in your bed so that, you know, you can feel more comfortable being in this space by yourself? 
I think it, there's definitely no right or wrong answer. Um, okay. In terms of how, in terms of how to teach a toddler how to fall asleep independently, I would say for a situation like yours, where you have a two-year-old that it sounds like has never really been falling asleep on his own to begin with, like these are, this is basically his go-to, this has been his go-to routine more or less since he was born, or it sounds oh, like, yeah. it sounds like with him, he started off as a newborn, as an infant and as a baby that had sleep crutches. And so you're no longer nursing him to sleep because he's two and a half, but it kind of morphed into, it morphed away from nursing to sleep to lying next to him until he falls asleep. Mm -hmm. So, you know, for a situation like this, where he's never fallen asleep on his own to begin with, um, this is not, oh, are we there? Oh, this yeah. is not, this is not a situation where I'd recommend any kind of cold turkey, cry it out type of sleep training. I mean, this is, I think, a really big myth and misunderstanding that a lot of people have around maximizing their little one's sleep. They think that the only solution has to be to put your child in the crib or put them in their bed and then lock the door and let them scream their brains off until the morning. And that is even if somebody was comfortable with a situation like that, it's actually not one of my go-to approaches because that's very, it's very hard on everybody. And it's very cold turkey, especially for a situation like your son's where he has never fallen asleep at all to begin with. It's not as if he's going through some type of phase or some type of regression. This is his regular routine from more or less day one. And so for a situation like this, this is typically where, you know, I would go with the route of, okay, let's sleep in your bed together for a couple of days. And then mommy's going to sleep on the floor right next to your bed. And then mommy's going to move to the middle of the room. And then mommy's going to move to the doorway. And, you know, he, so that he can become more and more independent and less and less reliant on you and your presence as a means of falling asleep and falling back to sleep. And by the way, this is something that you can do with your baby as well. This is, it's not as if this is only appropriate for toddlers. This is a, an approach that I use with babies all the time, where rather than rocking her to sleep, you place her in the crib awake. Yes, she's going to cry, but you can still spend a few days sitting next to the crib, you know, encouraging her, rubbing her back a little bit, picking her up, you know, offering her that emotional and physical support that she needs to figure out how to fall asleep and get through this change. So this is absolutely work that can be done in, a, in, in, an, in an emotionally supportive way so that we're not doing anything that just feels terribly and awful and wrong. Because I'll tell you something, if you're, if, 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 you do something that is completely outside your comfort zone, then chances are you're not going to remain consistent. And then you're going to eventually give in and then you'll end up back at square one and you won't make any progress. So it's very, very important to make sure that whatever sleep plan you come up with for yourself, that it is, you're doing something that feels right to you. That might be hard, but you feel comfortable with. Very, very big difference between something that's hard, but you're okay with versus something that is just gives you the worst feeling in the pit of your stomach. Yes. And I think it's also good to point out something that's comfortable between you and your significant other, your spouse. Cause yes. uh, I know I have, we've been, we've been down this road a few times with Joseph and getting him to sleep in his bed. And some of the methods that I may have, my husband doesn't necessarily agree with. So mm -hmm. then it becomes inconsistent with us trying to put him down to sleep 
because I'm trying to do one thing and he's trying to do another. So I think that's great that you would point that out. And I'm definitely going to start trying that, the, the weaning. I like how you said that. In the bed, next to it, by the door, carefully weaning him off. I like that. Right. Because remember, um, we're making a massive change in his life. I mean, you know, he, he might be two and a half, but I mean, he might only be two and a half, but for the last two and a half years, for 100% of his lifespan, He's never fallen asleep independently. You know, mommy has always been part of his falling asleep routine. And there, it's one thing, and you can easily say that there, that maybe up until now, that it worked for you, that it was lovely, that it was enjoyable, or, or maybe it didn't, but let's just say, let's just say for argument's sake, that, you know, up until recently, that you enjoyed your routine. And there's nothing wrong with you saying, you know what? What once worked for me is not working anymore. So this was amazing while it lasted, but I need, we're both ready for some changes right now. And Absolutely. there's nothing wrong with saying that at all. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> now, I mean, um, oh, go ahead. Well, what I was going to say is that, you know, it's not when we're working on teaching a child how to fall asleep independently, it's not just a matter of picking a method that you're comfortable with and sticking to it like glue. You know, we want to make sure that all the other, what I like to call sleep foundations are properly addressed. So one thing I do want to talk about is your, is your little one's schedule because you see in order for any kind of sleep training to work, it's absolutely crucial to make sure that your little one, regardless of how old they are, has an age-appropriate schedule where they're not going to bed overtired. You see, here's mm. the thing. Overtiredness is our worst enemy when it comes to sleep. It is one of the biggest sleep stealers out there because what happens is that when we're up for a period of time that's too long, and that's ultimately what causes overtiredness. When we're up for too long or when, we're, when, when our little ones are not getting a right amount of daytime sleep, it causes them to become overtired, which causes them to then fight sleep because it causes your nervous system to secrete a stress hormone called cortisol. And then when you have cortisol in your system, it makes it much harder for you to fall asleep and stay asleep. And babies and children are no different. So what I would suggest for your son, I know that you mentioned that your son usually naps at daycare from 12 to two mm -hmm. and then goes to bed between nine and 10, right? Mm -hmm. So here's the good news for you. <laughs> the good news is that your son needs an earlier bedtime. Oh, really? Yes. Absolutely, he does. Because if he is sleeping from 12 until 2, and then he's up from 2 o'clock all the way until 9, that's a seven-hour period of time that he's up for. And a two-and-a-half-year-old, when they're still napping, and most are, typically can only be awake for somewhere between five and six hours. So I would suggest that you bump his bedtime back a full, at least a full hour earlier, because the consequences of him going to bed too late are that it might be, it could potentially be harder for him to fall asleep, or maybe he conks out immediately, but then he wakes up in the middle of the night because overtiredness can also cause night wakings as well because it causes us to be hyper and wired. So I think an earlier bedtime is something that he will absolutely benefit from for sure. 
Wow, that is interesting to hear. And thank you for yes. going straight into the schedule. That was actually going to be my next question. How important yes. is the schedule? And obviously it is. So important. <laughs> so, 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 so important. But you know what a schedule usually means? A schedule usually means when they're on the right schedule, it gives you more free time. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> what I'm advising you to do is put them down an hour earlier so that, and then as a result, your evening is going to end up being an hour earlier. It's it's fantastic. It's it's a win win situation for everybody. Exactly, exactly. So, how much time should a baby or a toddler be sleeping at night? How many hours should they be getting? Right. So, I mean, it depends obviously on the age, but generally speaking, you know, we're aiming. We want our little ones' nights to be somewhere between eleven and twelve hours long. Um, We don't want it to be significantly longer, nor do we want it to be significantly shorter. Um, So that's depending on whether or not you have an infant or a toddler is pretty consistent, where the schedules really can range drastically from child to child is pertains to daytime sleep. So obviously your eight month olds daytime sleep requirements are going to be drastically different than your two and a half year olds daytime sleep requirements. So, you know, a toddler is usually napping once a day, just like, just like your son is. So he's napping at daycare 12 to two, no problem. And then from there, it's a matter of calculating bedtime based on how long he's been up for. So if we know that a two and a half year old cannot be up for longer than somewhere between five and six hours, then we know that his bedtime needs to be, or more like five and a half to six hours, then we know that his bedtime needs to be somewhere between 7.30 and 8. And then there's a very famous saying, and it, and it goes, sleep begets sleep. This is a very, very famous um, line from, from a well-known pediatrician who's an expert on sleep. In other words, you know, the better they sleep during the day, the better they will sleep at night because they're not going to be overtired. And there's this very big misconception that if you put your little one down too early, then they're going to wake up even earlier. Yes. When really, for the most part, <laughs> that's not the case. What's in fact happening is you're getting your son down before he gets into that overtired zone so that when we begin teaching him how to fall asleep independently, he's not going to be hyper and wired and raring to go. We're getting him down for sleep just as he's beginning to get tired, just as his body is beginning to produce melatonin, which is that sleepy hormone that we need in our systems to fall asleep properly. So this is a win-win situation across the board. <laughs> he will fall asleep more easily. He'll wake up more well, well rested the next day, and you have more free time. I can't think of anything better than that. That is awesome. I and I, I was definitely one of those parents that thought that if I quit, because if there were some situations where it happened, we went to bed a little bit earlier, and then he was waking up three or four o'clock in the morning, like wow. I was like, hey, hey, we have time to, to play and sing right now. So I, I was definitely a part of that uh, myth crew. But um, right. are there any other triggers that we should eliminate whenever we're getting our kid ready for bed? So obviously, you know, if we're potty training, no water or stuff like that, you know, we try to do things like that. But is there anything that we should really um, hone in on? Should we, you know, do, like do Absolutely. a story time to kind of wind them down? Yes. A bedtime routine is crucial. Um, A bedtime routine is so important because kids, just like adults, need time to wind down, to prepare for sleep and transition 
from playtime to sleep time. I mean, there might be some of us are able to just go from, let's say, talking on the phone or going on our computer or watching TV to literally conking out. But most of us can't, you know, most of us need some wind down time and kids are especially sensitive and, and struggle with these types of transitions. So having a nice, relaxing, mutually enjoyable bedtime routine is crucial because it gives your child the opportunity to relax, wind down, prepare for sleep, and get some really good quality time with mommy or daddy, whoever is doing their bedtime routine. So what you do during your routine is totally up to you, but you want to make sure that you've got a fairly consistent sequence of events. So for example, here with, with my kids, um, every other day, they take a shower or a bath um, and then they get into pajamas and then we brush teeth and then we read bedtime stories. Um, and then for my baby, I give him his last bottle, you know, before he goes to sleep. Um, and then we sing some goodnight songs and then I tuck them in and say goodnight and leave. And this applies to all three, my, my eight-year-old, my five-and-a-half-year-old and my eight-month-old. Um, they're, they're not always all going to sleep at the same time, but that's kind of in essence what the routine looks like. It doesn't need to be this big elaborate production day after day after day, right? It can be very simple, very straightforward, but very consistent. Um, and maybe if you have older ones, you know, I know that my oldest daughter, she loves to chat with me. She loves to talk to me. And, you know, we spend a few minutes before going to bed talking about our days. I mean, she's eight, right? And she's, she's kind of this, this, this little mommy character to begin with. So, you know, she wants to know, it's really cute. She wants to know about my day and she wants to tell me about her day. Um, my, my middle child really isn't like that. Her, her love tank needs to be filled by me playing with her. So she's a very goofy kid. Um, so, you know, I make sure that, yeah, we have some silly time at some point, we're not doing, you know, roughhousing play or anything like that. But, you know, I make sure that she gets what she needs as well. Um, and then, you know, my eight month old, I mean, he's just like a cute chubby baby that, you know, <laughs> that just likes getting some snuggles and likes getting hugged and kissed by his sisters and, uh, and likes his bottles and likes his food and then goes to sleep like that. So as long as you've got some kind of consistent wind down routine, that's going to cue your little ones that it's time to go to sleep so that they know what's going to happen next. The research shows, and I can tell you, I don't even need research to show me that. I just, with all the families I've worked with, it really, really does help. Yes. Yeah. I, I thank you for that <clears throat> because I, I've had a couple of family members that are like, oh yeah, I just kind of, we do this and we do that. And, da, da, da. and it's like, oh, does that work for you? <laughs> but 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 that but that is true. And even like you were saying before, having a schedule not only works for your kid, but it works for you. So you can get yes. that wind down time because who wants to wind down with their kid? If they Absolutely. can if they can wind down, they get your time and then you can wind down as an adult and you can get yes. your time and then that helps you as well. Yes, um, absolutely. Yeah. Do you have any recommendations for mattresses or sleeping apparel to help our kiddos get into sleep? Do does the mat does mattress comfort make a difference with kids? I don't find that it's a make or break. I mean, you know, as long as in terms of a crib mattress, I mean, my understanding is that anything that's purchased for a baby is 
heavily regulated, you know, both both here in Canada as well as in the United States. So, you know, as long as you're not buying um, a 30 year old crib off of Craigslist, you know, you, you should be just fine. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, you buy a proper crib mattress that, you know, you know, has been that is meeting certain safety criteria. Um, you are just fine. And in terms of in terms of toddlers and preschoolers, um, that is definitely an age where I recommend introducing some type of comfort item, some type of lovey. So maybe that's a, a, a blanket, a teddy bear, you know, a stuffed plush toy of some kind, um, because you want them to be able to get comfort at bedtime and nighttime from something that isn't you. (laughs) And so this way, if let's say there is the odd fright or the odd scary noise and all they feel like they have to do is just grab their little teddy bear and snuggle up with him and they can easily roll over and go back to sleep, it stops you from being their teddy bear in the process. So um, if your little one doesn't already have a, a comfort item of some kind, I'm going to go on the limb here and assume that your two-year-old doesn't, that you are probably his comfort item at this point. Probably at this point, yes. However, we did just go to Build-A-Bear and we did just get a Mickey Mouse that he is obsessed with. Oh, with. good. Okay, fantastic. So what you can do to really encourage him to bond with this Mickey Mouse is, first of all, incorporate it into your bedtime routine. In other words, when you are, for example, reading bedtime stories, you can encourage him to snuggle up with it, right? So, so, you know, he's snuggling with mommy, he's snuggling with Mickey Mouse, and then therefore he, he can, he can really begin to learn that he can get the same kind of comfort from Mickey Mouse as he can from you because he associates it with you and he associates it with bedtime. So that's something it might take a bit of time for him to really realize that he can get this type of comfort. And sometimes it does also involve you going through the process to gradually remove yourself from the equation, from the falling asleep equation, so that as he gets less and less of your presence at night, suddenly there's room for comfort from something else like a Mickey Mouse or a teddy bear or a blanket of some kind. So this is something that will take a bit of time. It's not going to happen overnight, but it's a good investment of your time and effort because when your child does attach themselves to something, it's really, really huge when it comes to helping them um, go to bed nicely and stay asleep nicely in their, in their bed or in their crib until the morning. I'm definitely going to do that because that was a um, well-invested Mickey Mouse. Cost me a little bit of change, yes. so he better enjoy it. <laughs> <I'm sure. laughs> He better enjoy it. Okay, and lastly, um, you know, whenever we get discharged from the hospital after having our little ones, they talk a lot about SIDS and they press about having the baby lay on their back. Um, Yes. Excuse me. Is SIDS such a um, a big concern to have your baby lay on their back versus, you know, a lot of times, you know, parents, especially like our parents, they're like, well, have the baby lay on their stomach, they'll sleep longer. It's more comforting. Right. Yeah. I mean, look, the research has shown that the the risk of SIDS, I mean, the the um, the number of um of situations that have led to, you know, a, a traumatic ending um have gone down significantly since the back to sleep campaign. So I think that is definitely a goal 
for us as parents with newborns to have. And you see, this is where this is where figuring out how to swaddle your baby properly, mm-hmm. introducing a pacifier, you know, recreating the room as much as possible with swaddling, with a pacifier, with a white noise machine, um, and with avoiding overtiredness, you know, just like what we were discussing with your toddler and your baby, mm-hmm. avoid overtiredness so that you can get your little one down more easily. Um, look, this isn't always possible. It's mm-hmm. not always, not all babies are going to necessarily agree with this. And, you know, we all have to do what we feel is best for our, our families. But at the same time, I think it is important to recognize that 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 is definitely the gold standard as well. And it is backed up by very clear evidence that the risk of SIDS does go down um, pretty significantly when babies, when newborn babies are sleeping on their backs. So that's something that I would, I would really try and prioritize from the very beginning. I mean, I know that when I came home with my, my eight month old, um, I mean, all all three of my kids for that matter. I mean, my oldest is only eight. So, you know, back to sleep was definitely a thing eight years ago as well. And um, I just made sure from the very beginning to try once a day to get my little ones into their bassinets drowsy but awake either you know either completely awake or somewhat awake so that they could begin learning how to put themselves to sleep without help and it's not going to happen on a regular basis because sometimes they'll cry and they'll be completely um, unsettled and they'll need some help from you and that's all very normal because they're newborns but what that would just mean is I would try again the next day and so with this in mind, that was just something I was doing on a regular basis. And, um, and with enough practice, they get it, you know, they get it when you're consistent and this is your routine day in and day out. Awesome. Awesome. And do you have a mom hack that you would like to share with us? I would say grocery pickup is my mom. You're the second one that says that. This is something that I just kind of recently discovered. And for the record, I'm well aware that grocery pickup has been around for a while now. But since having my third kid and continuing to run my business with him home with me, um, the amount of time that I have on my hands has gone down. The free time has gone down significantly. And so... So what grocery pickup allows me to do is it allows me to go online, you know, literally pick out everything that I need. And for an extra, the the grocery store right around the corner from me allows me to do this for either $2 or $3 extra, depending on, so I have to pay a dollar more if I'm picking up between 5 and 7 p.m., I guess, because that's, you know, the most popular time. Mm -hmm. Um, And so for an extra two or three bucks, it's a no brainer to have somebody grab all my groceries for me and for me to just drive to the grocery store, pull into one of their special parking spots, and then for someone to put my groceries in the trunk. And then I can save myself 30 to 45 minutes, you know, a few times a week um, going grocery shopping. So that is an Amazon Prime. I don't know how I raised (laughs) my first two kids five and eight years ago without Amazon Prime. Like I actually had to get in my car and drive somewhere if I needed toothpaste. 
<laughs> but now I don't have to go anywhere. I can just order it and it comes to me the next day. It's fantastic. So I, I highly that. recommend Amazon Prime as well. I just love that you use Amazon Prime, <clears throat> excuse me, for toothpaste and for. <laughs> oh my gosh, for anything. Laundry detergent. I mean, why would I waste my energy, my, you know, my reserves to get in my car and waste all this extra time driving around? You know what? And, and I should just also emphasize that for me in particular, in terms of where I live, Amazon Prime is massive because when it's winter time here, it might as well be an Arctic wasteland. So for me to get into my car when it's, you know, minus, okay, I'm about to say minus 20 degrees, but it's Celsius here and you won't know what that, you guys won't know what that means. Yeah, we don't know know how to convert that. We'll have to look it up. Yeah, I don't know how to convert it either. I don't, I don't know how to speak American. So hold on. What's minus (laughs) 20 degrees Celsius? I'm literally just Googling right now. Celsius to Fahrenheit. Oh, it's a whole formula. It's like I don't even know if I'm spelling Fahrenheit. Uh, okay, minus four, minus four. There you that's go. what it's. That's what it often is um, in the winter time here. And so for me to have to bundle myself up, bundle the baby up, get in the car, and go around the corner to the drugstore to buy, you know, diapers and wipes and basics that I can easily order off Amazon. It allows me to reserve so much of my energy for for other things that I can't necessarily um, send out. So grocery pickup and and Amazon Prime, I am huge fans of as a mom, a busy mom of three. There you go. Well, thank you so much for coming on this podcast and sharing all of your awesome knowledge with us. This was truly a treat, not only for me, but of course our audience. Um, Thank you so much. Everybody where where we can find you. Yes. So you can find me at mysleepingbaby.com. And for those of you listening who really want to get a head start on getting your little ones sleeping and making some changes to maximize your little one's sleep, I have a free ebook that you can download that contains my top seven sleep tips that you can begin implementing immediately to begin some action steps towards a wickedly awesome night's sleep. So I highly recommend that you download that. Yes. And as, as it is also on her website, we will also put it in our show notes. So you're just one click away from getting to it as well. Um, Yes. To like she said, starting your journey for your kid's sleeping journey. Right. Absolutely. Awesome. Well, thank you so much Eva for coming on. Um, This was like the the best. (laughs) Yes. And I hope that this helps you finally get a proper night's sleep. I hope I'm going to start implementing some of these um, or, well, not some, all of the steps, all the suggestions yes. that you gave um, just to help him out. Like you said, um, we have to get our time too, just to, to wind down. So this is awesome. Thank you so much. And we will talk My to you pleasure. soon. <laughs> <laughs> thank you for listening to another episode of the Four Moms podcast. I just want to say thank you to all of our family, our friends, and our supporters. I want to give a big thank you to my husband and my kiddos um, for just embracing me and supporting me on this crazy journey that I'm going on. 
Um, like I've said before, go ahead, subscribe, leave us a review so that we are able to reach more moms, more women, and so we can keep encouraging them to go after their dreams and we can expand our mommy community even more. Um, thank you again for listening and I cannot wait for y'all listen to the next episode.